direct your attention now to the Word of God. We are in the roll call of faith in the book of Hebrews, and we're going through the faith of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and this morning it is Jacob. We read uh, a somewhat lengthy narrative, but I'll try to read rapidly so that we're not standing too long. But the story picks up at the very end of the book of Genesis in chapter 47. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance." As for me, when I, come, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his hand, right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Jacob, it's his time. It's his turn. Jacob, who was born, we have the record of his birth. We have the record of his life and the record of his death. Jacob was the second-born son, came out of the womb clutching to the heel of Esau. Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter, a liar, treacherous in so many ways, despicable in character in so many ways. But the Bible tells us that God's electing love was upon Jacob. Jacob lived his whole life fighting with somebody. If it wasn't with his father, it was with his brother. If it wasn't with his brother, it was his father-in-law. If it wasn't with his father-in-law, it was with his brother again. And if it wasn't with his brother again, it was with the people of the land of Canaan. Jacob lived a very difficult life. Jacob spent a lot of his time wondering, fighting, scheming, conniving. But he always had the blessing of the Lord. Before he was ever born, the Lord had said, the elder shall serve the younger. The Lord had put his favor on Jacob. Jacob had the favor of the Lord. He didn't need to do anything that he did to try to get the birthright. He didn't need to try to buy it or swindle it out of Esau. He had it. The Lord was going to give it to him one way or another. He didn't have to deceive his father Isaac as we saw last week with an incredible deception cooked up by his mother and his mother ordered him, literally ordered him to do it. And he didn't need to do that. The Lord was going to give him the blessing anyway, somehow. If we don't do anything else, let's pause and look at these patriarchs and see their great sin. Even Abraham, I didn't get a chance to discuss Abraham with you because I was on a little vacation for a couple of weeks, but, but Abraham believed God and obeyed God. But Abraham was filled with sin. First thing God told him to do was to leave his country and to leave his kindred. And what he did was carry his, his kindred with him. <laughs> Took his father and his uncle and his nephew. He didn't leave his kindred. He didn't obey right away completely. You will see failing. You will see sin. You'll see rebellion. You'll see every imaginable manifestation of sin and depravity in the life of the patriarchs. We looked a little bit at the weaknesses of the character of Isaac last week. I'm telling you, the people that God chose, the people that God blessed, the people that God saves, the people that God redeems, the people that he calls unto himself are a sinful people. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sometimes people read the New Testament and they think that the point of the Old Testament is that we can emulate these great men. And they certainly are there for an example, Paul tells us. But not just an example of faith and righteousness, but also an example of sin and failure and disobedience. 
It is interesting to me as I read the story of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament to some extent, how many men and do not end and finish their life very well. Uh, we saw it in Eli. We saw it in Saul. We see it somewhat in David. The end of the life is kind of a sad letdown. After, done, after believing God and trusting God and walking with God and f serving God, and we sit with Noah. The, they don't end well. Jacob's story is kind of counterintuitive to that. He didn't start well. And he didn't fare well. But he ended well. When Jacob had deceived his brother and his brother swore he was going to kill him, one more time his mother came to his rescue and enabled him to get out of Canaan and get back to Padan Aram, where the family was from originally, a land that was north and east of Damascus, Syria, basically the modern country of Iraq. He went back. It was there that all the conniving and all the cheating and all of the swindling that he had done in his earlier life came back on him because he fell in love with a young woman whose father was just about as treacherous as Jacob was. And you know the story of how he labored for a first wife. He labored seven years again for his second wife, Rachel, the one he really loved. And all of the deceit and all of the cheating that had been done to him by Laban, his father-in-law. Finally, after 20 years, the Lord told him it's time to go back home. 11 of his 12 sons had been born at that point. He was on his way back to the land of Canaan, back to the land where Isaac had dwelt his whole life. Abraham wandered all the way from the Ur of the Chaldees, the modern Kuwait, all the way down into Egypt. But Isaac had stayed in the land, and Jacob had gone all the way back and spent 20 years back in the original home country. But every time Jacob crossed a river, the Lord met him. When he crossed the Jordan River, on his way out, when he crossed the Jabbok River on his way back, the Lord would meet with him, gave him visions. On the occasion before he met Esau in, a, in what was a good reunion, until once again Jacob tricked Esau into settling on a final home. You remember that story? The Lord continued to love, to direct, to deal with Jacob. There's a few things interesting about Jacob. On one occasion when he was coming back before he met again with Esau, he had sent his family in two camps. And he made a comment on that point. He said, you know, when I crossed this river to over 20 years ago, when I crossed the Jordan, all I had was my staff. shepherd's staff. He'd been in his youth taking care of his father Isaac's flocks. But he had gone to, to Laban and had spent 20 years working for him. And now he came back. He had an inheritance and a heritage and wealth so massive 
that he was able to divide it into two complete camps. He had two fortunes. He had indeed received the double portion of the blessing that Isaac had, had promised him. And Jacob, this time, wrestled with a man. He was left all by himself that night for some reason. His wives and his servants, his flocks had been, and his sons had been sent away and he was there and he wrestled with a man all night long. And when daybreak came, they hadn't settled the match yet. It was still in the middle of the struggle. And Jacob said, I won't let you go till you bless me. That's the heart of Jacob right there. He wanted the blessing of God. He wanted it so bad he couldn't stand it and he was willing to cheat for it, steal and lie and do whatever he needed to. But one thing he had was that heart for God. He wanted that blessing. He lived for that blessing. He could not live without that blessing. That's really what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for somebody who has a heart so hungry for the Lord they can't live without it. And he said to that man in the wrestling match, he says, I won't let you go. I don't know what kind of a wrestling hold he had on him, but it was a pretty good one. He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And you remember the story there that he was promised the blessing. But finally the man he was wrestling with had to show his superiority. He put him in a submission hold. It took his hip completely out of joint, tore the sinew, crippled him for life. Now Jacob needs that staff because that's going to be his crutch that he's going to walk on for the rest of his life. But he said, even though the Lord had said over and over to the patriarchs, I will bless you, I am with you. He said it repeatedly to Isaac. And he had said it repeatedly to Jacob at that point. But Jacob's memory of that wrestling match that night and the blessing that followed at the crack of dawn and the severe painful injury that was inflicted upon his body, he said, I've seen God face to face. I don't know if he was wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ or not. My hermeneutic of typology tells me he was at least wrestling with somebody. He had had experience with angels, but this was with a man, an incarnate man, face to face. Jacob had an incredible life. But now when we come to the story of this morning, it's kind of simple. He's, he's not in Canaan. He's not in the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham and Isaac and to even Jacob. He's been starved out of the land of Canaan. And one of the most tender places in his heart was the little village of Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And yet Jacob and his sons were starved. There was a famine in the whole earth and they were forced to go down to Egypt. And when they got to Egypt, guess what they discovered? 
Joseph, the favored son, that had been put in the pit, that had been given up for dead, had gone into Egypt. And you know the story of Joseph. We'll talk a little more about him later. He had prospered in the land and had become high in command and it ended up having the title to the land of Goshen, which was one of the most fertile and the best portions of the land of Egypt. And he had brought the whole family down. And you know the drama of the story with leaving Benjamin behind and bringing Benjamin and finally bringing a Jacob down. And so now Jacob, his life is over. This is really, this chapter and the next chapter, chapter 49, is really a uh, deathbed narrative. Uh, in fact, uh, two things on this text tells us that Jacob was so feeble that he couldn't even get out of bed in order to assume the right posture of prayer. The proper posture of prayer in the Old Testament was flat, prostrate before God. And he was so feeble he couldn't get out of his bed. The best he could do was to bow down over the head of his couch, over his bed. He was in the last days of his life. And the word came to Joseph that if he was going to have his sons blessed, he should. And I don't know what the, the story sort of blanks a little bit, or at least I haven't caught it on exactly how it came to be that Joseph was to be the favored son, except that Jacob had loved him. He was the first son of Rachel. When the Lord had opened her womb, he had, he had Joseph, and then later she died in childbirth with the baby boy, Benjamin. But for some reason, Jacob now knows might have been revealed to him from the Lord that the blessing of primogeniture was to go to Joseph. His 11th son was to now receive the double portion of the blessing. And the way he was going to get the double portion of the blessing is the Lord was going to take Joseph's two boys, Manasseh the older and Ephraim, who were preschoolers. The text said they were standing between Joseph's knees. Have you ever had two little boys down there, two little toddlers, you know, about a year apart, you know, just sort of hold your hand on top of their heads? I've got little grandsons like that, you know, they're down there, little boys. But they had been born to Joseph in Egypt, and Jacob hadn't seen them. And his eyes were dim, and he didn't really know what they looked like. But the way he was going to double the blessing and double the portion to Joseph was he was going to give the blessing to these two boys. But it was more than that. Did you catch it in the text when he says that these boys will be mine? He adopted them and said they will be equal with Simeon and Reuben, the two older boys, Leah's boys, who were, were really the leaders of the clan for a long, long time. These two little boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, were going to be the equal. They were going to be sons of Jacob, not grandsons. He was going to give them the blessing. Well, Joseph knew the order. He brought the two boys and picked them up. 
in his hands and his arms and he approached his father who the Bible said struggled to sit up on the edge of the bed to where he could sit there and he could put a blessing upon the heads of these boys. And of course, Joseph took his older son and put him in his left hand so that he would be before the right hand of Jacob. And he took the younger son, put him in his right hand so he would be before the left hand of Jacob. So that when Jacob reached out in his blindness and put his hands on those two boys, his right hand would be on the favored one and his left hand would be on the second born. But just as he pronounced the blessing, old Jacob crossed his hands. And I love the way the expositors talk about the cross making all the difference in the world. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? But he crossed his hands and he blessed them. And before Jacob could hardly even object, the blessing had been pronounced. The younger Ephraim had received the greater blessing. And the other one was blessed too. Jacob remembered his father Isaac had two blessings. The one that involved the seed, the Christ, the Savior of the world was given to Jacob, but the other blessing was a common grace blessing, a wonderful blessing of life and, and, and prosperity and wealth and, and, and all sorts of things that would come in just God's common grace to one of his people one of his creatures, and Esau had received that blessing. And now the years have passed and the boys are receiving that blessing. There's something I want to point, about the, point out about the blessing. It says, he blessed Joseph and said, in blessing these two boys, Joseph's sons, he's blessing Joseph. He's making Joseph the one who receives the double portion, the one who has the priority. And of course, Joseph had it all the days that they were in Egypt. But he's going to bless Joseph by blessing his sons. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Jacob had come to know the God of his fathers. This, this is not the faith of his fathers. This is Jacob's faith. But it's in the God of his fathers. It makes a big difference. The faith of our fathers, wonderful as it is, won't work for us. We have to have our own confidence and trust and belief and faith in God. And so when he came time for the blessing, he recognized the source of the blessing, the God of the blessing, and the heritage of the blessing. And it's interesting what he says, the God who's been my shepherd all my life long. Jacob had seen the hand of God providentially in his blessing of his whole life. You don't hear this kind of godly talk from Jacob earlier in his life at all. It seems like it's hard for him to recognize God. God has to kind of break into him and get in his face literally in order to make himself known. But now Jacob, blinded physically, but his eyes are wide open spiritually. 
He knows God. He knows God well and he knows he can trust God and he can believe God. And every promise that God had made to Abraham and every promise that God had made to Isaac and every promise that God had made to Jacob himself now was alive in his soul. And he was mustering all of his strength because he was just out of physical strength and he's running now on pure spiritual energy. And he says, the Lord has been my shepherd all my life long. And I like this name. And the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. If that's not a veiled reference to Christ, I don't know what it is. Angels are not redeemers. Christ is a redeemer. But he had appeared to him. And this was his confession. The heart of the blessing of Abraham is Christ. The seed, the true seed of the Abrahamic blessing as it was passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and down to the children of Israel is Christ. And it is through them and through that lineage that Christ came to all the nations. Jesus commanded that the gospel be preached to all the nations and it is in Christ that all the nations are blessed. God blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that they might bring forth a seed. And Jacob had been faithful. He had gone to a lot of trouble to get a wife of the covenant. His brother Esau had just married all kinds of beautiful women that lived in the land, pagans, heathen, God deniers. Jacob had gone to a lot of trouble to keep the lineage in the family that God had promised it to. He says, now here's the blessing. Bless the boys. <laughs> I love that little phrase. Bless the boys. I can just almost hear the Lord himself saying that to his disciples in a prayer to his father. Father, bless the boys. Old John and Peter and James and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and all of those guys. Just bless them. And here's the, here's the specifics of the blessing. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In other words, it's a physical blessing, but a text we didn't read as the blessing continues on down beyond verse 16 into verse 17. Listen to what the blessing was in verse 20, a continuation of the blessing. So he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessings saying, God made you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And that means that word will be used. Ephraim, the younger, now is the offspring that is treated as the older, will have the priority in the naming, but there's no greater blessing anywhere in Israel that may, Lord, may the Lord bless you as he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, do you remember when the children of Israel went into the Canaan's land years later? Do you remember anything about Ephraim? First of all, Joshua was an Ephraimite. And the greatest portion of the land, the best portion of the land was given to Joshua and his clan and his family. And Manasseh had received a portion on the other side of the Jordan and then another half-tribe portion on the side of the Jordan where most of Israel was. 
And if you look at a map in the back of your Bible, you'll see that Ephraim and Manasseh, those two tribes together occupied square mileage together that was more than all the other tribes put together. They were blessed beyond measure. And one other thing you'll see is right between their borders where Ephraim in the southern and Manasseh north, right there on their border was a little town and a place called Shechem. And it was at Shechem that God renewed the covenant. It was at Shechem that they had Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim where the Lord met His people and where they uh, ratified the covenant and called out before the Lord. And Shechem became in the ancient world the most sacred site of worshiping the one true God of heaven and earth. And it remained that way until David established Zion in Jerusalem. Remember, that was the debate between the woman at the well and Jesus. Is where should we worship? Mount Zion or Mount Gerizim? The Lord placed Himself in His presence. And that is the thing that you will always see. Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you. God with you. That's Emmanuel. That's Christ. That's the blessing is God with you. And he says, and I will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given you to your brothers one mountain slope. That's that Mount Gerizim. That's that mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Ephraim became the dominant tribe of the ancient people of Israel. In fact, the whole northern kingdom is called Ephraim. It's named after that one tribe because it was the dominant tribe of the northern ten tribes. Only Judah and Benjamin and a part of Simeon stayed to the south when the kingdom divided. So physically, literally, this blessing came to pass. And one of the things that's just so interesting to me is this. Jacob blessed these boys, blessed Joseph and his sons when he was in the land of Egypt. They had had some sojourning for two generations in Canaan, the promise to land, but they weren't in the promised land. They were down in Egypt. And they didn't have any good plan for getting back home. And it took several centuries before they got back home to the land. And that's faith. When you're believing the promises of God, believing the gospel, believing in Jesus, when you're in Egypt, believing that God's going to bring you to Canaan. And if that's not a picture of where we are today, I don't know. We're living in a vile land, a vile earth with a pagan population and a God-denying people all across this land and across the globe. And faith says, you're going to get to Canaan. 